would turn to James chapter 4. <clears throat> We're going to finish chapter 4 this evening. And the day that I had um, planned to study this lesson, I had not planned to study this lesson. You might say, what are you talking about? Well, let me start over. The day I had planned to study this lesson, I woke up, or I hadn't studied actually to plan this lesson. I woke up and I went through my normal morning routine, uh, the things that I do in the morning. And after I went on my walk and did my various things, I got in the shower and got dressed. Only this particular day, I got dressed up because I was going to take a very special friend to lunch for her birthday. And uh, so, you know, I wanted to look nice because this friend happens to wear three-piece suits every time we go out. I won't mention who she is. She's not here tonight, but for those of you that you know who I'm talking about. Anyway, I was just heading out the door to meet this woman and take her to lunch when she called me. And she said, Susan, she said, "Um, I'm going to need to cancel our lunch. And I said, oh, okay. And she didn't even give me an explanation, and she hung up. So for a moment, I stood there, and I said to myself, self, now what are you going to do with this time you have? I mean, and it was a big chunk of time because, you know, we were doing birthday lunch, so we weren't just going a 30-minute lunch. So I decided to execute plan B, which, by the way, ladies, plan B is usually always God's plan A, I have found out. And so I began to study this lesson in James. Now, I imagine that each of you could look at your homework this week and tell me some things that happened to you this week, things that you planned to do, only you got ready to do them and they didn't happen. Your plans were thwarted. In fact, it's interesting, the second time I had the opportunity to work on this lesson, my day went like this. I unexpectedly woke up at 2.30 in the morning, and that's something that I do often these days. Saturday night it was 1.30, Sunday night it was 3.30, and my day starts very early when those days happened. Only this particular morning, my husband had just left for Colorado by car, And he was about an hour outside of Tulsa when I went into the bathroom and I noticed his garment bag sitting, uh, sitting on the floor by his closet. And so I called him up and I said, honey, I think you've forgotten something here at the house. And so guess what I did? I drove halfway to deliver his clothes. And so my day went on, not as I planned, but as God planned. So we ask ourselves this question. Should Christians plan or should we not? And what should be our attitude when our plans change? Should we pout and cry, you know, stomp our feet, get mad at God? No, we shouldn't. Well, the fourth chapter of the epistle of James begins with quarrels and ends with planning in relation to the will of God. And you might say, well, how is this related? I mean, I don't understand. You know, he starts talking about fights and wars and he ends up talking about Planning. How is it related? Listen very carefully. Planning without a proper sense of the uncertainty of life and without consulting the Lord is another form of what we've been studying, worldliness, right? In this chapter, we have been looking at various forms of worldliness, the worldliness of fighting and warring with one another, the worldliness of asking for things in our, in our prayers that are selfish, the worldliness of spiritual unfaithfulness, the worldliness of pride, and as we noted in the last last week, the worldliness of speaking evil of others and judging our brother and our sisters in our heart. And so James is simply, ladies, in chapter 4, he's just transitioning from one form of worldliness to another. 
And James has some very practical things to say to us this evening in chapter 4 as we end this chapter. So if you would look with me in verse 13 through 17. He says, Come now you that say, Today or tomorrow we'll go into such a city and continue there a year and buy and sell and get gain. Whereas you know not what shall be on the next day. For what is your life? It is even a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. For you ought to say, If the Lord will, we shall live and do this or that. But now you rejoice in your boastings. All such rejoicing is evil. Therefore, to him that knows to do good and does it not, to him it is sin. Now, in these last five verses in James 4, we're going to have three major themes emerging. The first one is this. Planning without God is self-reliance. Verses 13 to 14. Planning without God is self-reliance. Secondly, planning with God is sovereign reliance. Planning with God is sovereign reliance, verse 15. And then lastly, planning without God is sin. Planning without God is sin, verses 16 to 17. So planning without God is self-reliance. Planning with God is sovereign reliance. And planning without God is sin. Let's first of all look at planning without God is self-reliance. Notice how Pastor James starts verse 13. Come now, listen, listen up. You who say or attend to what you're getting ready to say today or tomorrow, we will go here and do this or that. Now, it's interesting. James is picturing Jewish businessmen who are traveling because he says they're going to go into a city and do what? buy and sell and get gain. And so you can almost see them, you know, they get out the map and they go, well, tomorrow we're going to go, you know, we're going to travel up here and we're going to go into this city and we're going to buy and we're going to sell and we're going to get gain and we're going to do all this. We do the same thing, don't we? We we get ready to go on a trip and so we get out a map and so, you know, tomorrow we're going to drive here, we're going to go here, we're on a vacation and we're going to do this and we're going to do that and we're going to take the kids to do this. But it's interesting here, the Greek word, when James says that they're going to go and buy and sell and get gain, it means to make a profit. And it actually, the the root word here is the desire of gain or the love of gain. So these Jewish men that were planning this venture to go and buy and sell, get, sell and get gain, it was a selfish motive. It wasn't a good or godly motive. That's why they were traveling. That's why they were trading. Ladies, let me stop and say this. Selfish gain should never be the motive behind the Christian business person ever. You know, God wants us as his people. Our primary goal when we work is not accumulation of money. I don't know if you've ever thought about that. That is not biblical. To work just to get money is not biblical, but to work for the glory of God to create a maximum impact for the kingdom, that's glorifying to God. It's contrary to our to our thinking, isn't it? In fact, think for just a minute. When you think about your job or your spouse's job, and be honest with yourself, okay, Do you desire to make money or do you desire for your husband to make money so you can give back to God and to those who are in need? Or you desire for yourself to make money and your husband to make money 
So you can buy more and more things and accumulate more and more stuff. What James is doing here is really rebuking our thinking, which has become what? Worldly. Worldly. We're focusing on profit. We're going to go, buy, sell, get gain, instead of being a blessing to others. And by the way, I want to encourage you young moms, and for those of you that aren't married yet, but one day you will be married and you'll have children. Yes, you will. Be careful with your children. Do not brainwash your children into thinking that money is everything. You know, I know some parents that lay guilt trips on their children because they push them to select a profession based only on how much money they will make. That's not a godly motive. I also know other parents who discourage their children from going to the mission field because that doesn't bring in very much money. Ladies, we should train our children to pursue the Lord and his will for their life. It doesn't really matter how much money they make, right? It matters that they follow Christ. We must encourage our children to use their gifts according to God's will, not our own. Now, ladies, from this verse, we must not conclude that James is arguing against planning wisely, for we should plan, right? We should be wise planners. In fact, you know, Jesus himself taught his followers the importance of calculating their resources before beginning a project. He really did in Luke 14. He says it's normal for us to plan. Listen to this verse. Which of you intending to build a tower, do you not sit down first and count the cost? Whether you have enough to finish it? Of course, we do. And even he goes on to say, which king, when he goes out to war, doesn't he consider, doesn't he plan? Do I have enough men in my army to fight against this battle, these people that are coming against me? So Jesus and James do not condemn planning. But what is condemned here is planning that eliminates God, thinking, you know, I'm clever enough. I have enough human intelligence. That's all I need. Remember what Jesus said in this parable in Luke 12, 16 to 21? Don't turn there, but just listen. Jesus speaks a parable to them saying this. The ground of a certain rich man yielded plenty, and he thought within himself saying, What shall I do since I have no room to store my crops? So he said, I'll do this. I will build down my barns, I'll build greater, and there I'll store all my crops and my goods, and I'll say to my soul, Soul! You've got many goods laid up for many years. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool, this night your soul will be required of you. Then whose will those things be which you have provided? So is he who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Here's a man, he's saying, you know, I got so much stuff. I'm going to have to build, you know, it's kind of like our storage houses, you know. We have to get those storage places and we pay money to store all our stuff because our houses don't store our stuff anymore. And this man's saying, you know, I've got so much stuff and I'm just going to accumulate it. And God said to him, you fool, don't you know tonight your soul's going to be required? And then who's going to take this stuff? Ladies, the scenario here in James clearly reflects these men's self-confidence. They assume their plans are in their control. There's no consideration of God. There's no consideration of the uncertainty of life. The whole picture rings true, doesn't it, even in our life? Do we pray and seek God's counsel before making not only financial plans but other plans? In fact, you might say, you know, tomorrow I think I'm going to go 
I think I'm going to go have lunch with so-and-so. I'm going to take the kids to school. And then after school, you know, I'm going to take them to go get some ice cream. And then I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that. And a lot of times we make those plans without even consulting God. And the results can be disastrous. You know, I think we would have a lot less heartache and maybe some less headaches if we would learn to consult the Lord for the decisions that we make from day to day. Well, in verse 14, James reminds his readers that their knowledge of what will happen tomorrow is too uncertain to give them the confidence in making such firm plans. Notice what he says. You do not even know what will happen tomorrow. For what is your life? It's even a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. You know, it's interesting. According to verse 13, they were making plans for a whole year. Did you notice that? They were going to do it for a whole year. We'll buy and sell and we'll stay there a year. And yet they couldn't even see into a day. They didn't even know what's going to happen in a day. James says, you don't even know what's going to happen tomorrow. How can you plan for a year? Ladies, none of us in this room knows whether we will even live to see the dawning of tomorrow, right? In fact, when Marta came to my house yesterday and for discipling and she said, you know, this young man had dropped dead, I thought, wow. That man, young man probably had no idea that that was his last day. Proverbs 27, 1 says this, Do not boast about tomorrow, for you do not know what a day may bring forth. In fact, I don't know about you, but since September 11th, I have often pondered the probability. I've often wondered. I wonder how many of those people that were in the planes that crashed or in the Twin Towers, I wonder how many of them, when they got dressed that morning or the night before when they went to bed, considered that the next day was their last day on planet Earth. I wonder if any of that came through their mind. You know, we count our years by our birthdays, and yet God says in Psalms that we're to number our days. Did you know that? We're to number our days, he says, so that we can gain a heart of wisdom. Well, after James reminds us of tomorrow's uncertainty, he says, he asks another question. What is your life? What is your life? What sort of life do you have anyway? Notice what he says. It's a vapor. It appears for a little time and then it vanishes away. My friends, do you know your life is just a puff? It's a smoke. It's a vapor. Have you ever been out on a cold morning and, you know, you breathe that cold air and you've got, you know, how long does it last? Or, you know, while, while ago, Debbie and I, well, Debbie actually was boiling the water for the hot water that you drink, you know, that tea kettle and that steam comes and it's gone. Or how about this? You know, you do this and it's gone. That's your life. That is your life. That's lasting a little longer than it should. That's your life. And listen, the older I get, I realize that is my life. It is a vapor. It's here today, and it's gone tomorrow. Remember, we already looked at James 1.10, where James says the rich man is like the flower of the field that passes away. It's here today. It's gone tomorrow. Job says, remember, my life is just a breath. The psalmist says, our life is a breath. It passes away. It doesn't come again. Ladies, how in the world can we think that you, we can build any solid plans or hopes on a mist or a vapor? Or a puff of smoke. It's silly, isn't it? How foolish we are to ignore God and then proudly plan for our lives that 
are fleeting like a vapor, like a puff of smoke. In fact, every birthday I have, and I just had one, every birthday that I have, it seems to be screaming at me, you are dying, Susan Joy Heck. You are dying. You're getting older. Your life is just rushing by. Ladies, as believers in Jesus Christ, should we not take death into consideration when planning? What is your life? It's a vapor. Appears today and is gone tomorrow. Well, James continues to tell them that the error was not in what they said, but in what they did not say. So we see planning without God is, we turn from planning without God, which is self-reliance, and we turn to planning with God, which is sovereign reliance. Notice what he says in verse 15, for you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we shall live and do this or that. Now, what is he saying here? Well, if the Lord wills is basically just an acknowledgement that we want God's direction and approval on our plans and that we will do nothing without his consent and consulting him. Now, you might say, well, Susan, isn't James going just a little bit too far? I mean, come on. Well, listen to some of these examples. Don't turn there. Just listen, okay? Listen to what the Apostle Paul says. I will return again to you, God willing, Acts 18.21. I will come to you shortly if the Lord wills, 1 Corinthians 4.19. I hope to stay a little while with you if the Lord permits, 1 Corinthians 16.7. I trust in the Lord to send Timothy to you shortly. I trust in the Lord that I myself will come shortly, Philippians 2.19 and 24. And ladies, James is not suggesting that you always have to say like the Apostle Paul, you know, if the Lord wills, you know, if the Lord wills tonight after church, I'm going to go get a hamburger. If the Lord wills, you know, I'll I'll see you guys next Tuesday. You doesn't mean you have to say that all the time because it could become a meaningless repetition, nor is he condemning those that do say that. Those of you that know me say probably know I say that often. I'll say I'll see you next week, Lord willing, or I'll see you tomorrow morning, Lord willing. That's kind of part of my vocabulary. But I don't think that you should say it if that's not really what's in your heart. I don't think it should become a meaningless repetition. But I personally think we as Christians would be wise to use that in our vocabulary because I don't know if I'll see you guys next Tuesday night. I hope to. But if the Lord wills, and you may not be here either. I mean, Susie had no idea she was going to be in the bed tonight, you know, sick with pain. If the Lord wills, we'll be here. In fact, the Puritans often used Lord willing in their speech and their correspondence. It was a habit with them, and I think it would be a good one for us. Ladies, there's nothing wrong with planning, but there is something wrong with planning when you leave God out of the picture, and that is what James is condemning here. In fact, I like what Elizabeth Elliot says, and for those of you that that are list makers like me, you'll like this too. She says, I have a list for everything. An everyday list, a grocery list, a Christmas list, a packing list for her suitcase, a prayer list, and several other lists. But, she says, when unexpected circumstances happen, at least unexpected to her, she says God is her sovereign Lord and she will not worry. She says he manages perfectly day and night, year in and year out, the movement of the stars, the wheeling of the planets, the staggering coordination of events in order to hold things together. There is no doubt he can manage the timing of my days and weeks. 
So I pray in confidence, thy list be done, not mine. So, you know, I'm a list planner too. I mean, I write a list for everything. And I am so grateful the Lord has matured me in this because I was actually kind of surprised on my homework, you know, when I wrote out what I was supposed to do the next day. And when I went to bed the next night, it was exactly what I'd written down. And that doesn't normally happen. But um, I am a list maker. And I used to be so bad that when my, you know, plans got interrupted, uh, my my reaction was not one that was honoring to the Lord. And the Lord has really matured me in that. And I know my husband is very thankful, too, because, you know, he's the impulsive one and I'm the scheduled one. And so now I just almost expect every day I have a list, but you know what? I kind of half expect I, it's not going to happen because that's usually just the Lord testing to see how we respond. Now, ladies, James, again, is not saying, and I want to repeat this. He is not saying that planning is sinful, but planning without committing your plans to the Lord and not seeking his face is sinful. What does Psalm 37, 5 say? Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him and he will bring it to pass. In fact, I think we would be wise as women to take time every morning to think about the day ahead. Consider your agenda before God, what you need to do. I do not think we would be wise stewards of our God-given time if we were just to, you know, wake up and just let the day happen. You know, I don't know what's going to happen, but, oh, it'll be fun to find out. In fact, I'm usually the night before I'm planning, I'm sitting in my bed and I'm making out my list for the next day. I am a list maker. It's a good idea. Think about tomorrow. What are you going to do next week? Uh, plan, but always keeping in mind, the in the forefront of your mind, God is sovereign and he can change those plans. In fact, I would encourage you also as young mothers, this is something that we did when our children were growing up. We would make promises, you know, we're going to do this Friday night or we're going to go on this vacation and we always would say to Charles and Cindy, if the Lord wills. And, of course, being in the pastorate, they knew that most of the time the Lord willed something else. And so we used to just laugh on Friday night when we would have family night because Charles and Cindy would say immediately, I wonder who's going to call tonight that's in the hospital that needs your attention because, you know, we've got one, probably one out of six, six Friday nights actually turned out to be family night because they just knew that would happen in the pastorate. So it's a good idea to teach your children making promises. Mommy and Daddy will do this if the Lord wills, but always keeping that before their mind. Well, now that James has instructed us in the importance of including God in our plans, he then gives us God's opinion of excluding him. So we turn from planning with God as sovereign reliance to planning without God is sin. Notice what he says in verse 16. Now you rejoice in your boastings. All such boasting is evil. The word boast here means to speak loudly about something you have a right to be proud of. And the arrogance here is self-glorification in a negative sense. It's braggart talk. You know what James is saying? You boast about your trips. You know, you're going to go here, you're going to go there, you're going to buy, you're going to sell, you're going to get gain. Boast about your plans, boast about your trip, boast about your retirement, which none of us have anymore. Uh, boast about our houses, you know, boast about our clothes, boast about blah, blah, blah. And he says this boasting is is arrogance. In fact, the word boasting here suggests these people were wandering in an unreal world and boasting to others about what they thought they had found. How boring is that? Ladies, the only boasting for a believer that is proper is boasting in the Lord. That's it. 
Why? Because self-boasting gives credit to who? Self. Not the glory to God, who is the giver of the life you have anyway. Remember why the Lord struck Herod? Anybody remember that story? The Lord struck him because he what? He didn't give God the glory. And so what happened? Worms came and, you know, ate him. That is really gross. And he died. James says, all such boasting is evil. You know what this means in the Greek? It's bad. It's useless. It's good for nothing. It's true, isn't it? Boasting doesn't do you any good, does it? And the last time you boasted about something, did it do you any good? And the poor person that had to listen to you boast? Boring, right? I was like, when are they going to be done talking about themselves? Ladies, boasting is evil. Doesn't glorify God. The woman who brags about her activities independent of God shows how really she's just very empty. That's what James is saying. Ladies, as humans in the sight of God, James says, you're declared good for nothing. All such boasting is evil. Well, now that James has illuminated your thinking on this, he ends on a very sobering note in verse 17. Therefore, to him that knows to do good and does it not, to him it is sin. Now think of the context and what James is saying. In effect, this is what he is saying. Whoever now knows to plan their activities with a dependence on God, but does not do so to her, it is sin. That's what he's saying. These businessmen that he mentions in verse 13, they plan to fa- they planned their plans without God in mind, and therefore they acted arrogantly. We're going to do this, we're going to do that. It's sin, James says. In fact, this law is universal. If someone knows the right thing to do and does not do it, he or she is guilty of sin. And what's very sobering here in verse 17, it's not just an unfortunate omission. James says it's sin. It's sin. Luke says, for, to, for, every, excuse me, for everyone to whom much is given from him, much will be required. Ladies, once you have been given the light to what Scripture means, then you have a responsibility to walk in that light. In fact, many things have been illuminated for us so far, right, since we've begun to study the epistle of James, things that we know to do, right, things that are good, things that are right for us, such as rejoicing in trials, asking God for wisdom during trials, enduring our trials, not becoming angry with God or his word, receiving his word with meekness, putting away wickedness, being a doer of the word, not just a hearer, taking care of widows and orphans, keeping ourselves unspotted from the world, not showing partiality, showing genuine faith by our works, bridling our tongue, not fighting, resisting the devil, mourning over our sin, just to name a few, right? You're saying, wow, we've really looked at a lot. We have. And so James says, now that you've been enlightened to all of this, not just the fact that you shouldn't be making your plans without God, but you've now been enlightened to all of the right things that you ought to be doing, and you know you should be doing them, and if you choose not to, you know what he says? It's sin. It's sin. Therefore, to him that knows to do good and does it not to him, it is sin. Now, ladies, I'm going to take a little sidetrack here, and I don't want to distract from the main point of this lesson, which is the main point of this lesson is the danger of planning without the Lord. But many times 
I'm asked this question, and so I wanted to cover it tonight because we have just a, we actually, I have 20 minutes, but I'm not going to take the full 20 minutes. Many times I am asked this question, Susan, how can I know if something is a sin issue when it is not clearly pointed out in God's word? How do I know on these gray areas? And so I'm going to sidetrack just a little because I think this is, this verse right here, verse 17, is very important. Therefore, to him that knows to do good and does it not to him, it is sin. And I would like to give you ten questions to ask yourself when facing what is a gray area. Because you might say, well, how do I know if this is sin or not? I'm not sure it's sin. The Bible isn't clear about it. And I hope that they will help you. The first one is this. Does this build me up spiritually? Does this build me up spiritually? You know, there are some things in which we choose to participate in, and they're just time robbers, and they hold little value. In fact, I often think of Paul's prayer for the church at Philippi. He says, I'm praying that you'll choose things that are excellent, things that are valuable, things that are of eternity. And so you might ask yourself, is this the best thing I can do with my time? Is this the best thing I can do with my time? The second question is this. Does it bring me under its power or will it enslave me? Does this thing bring me under its power or will it enslave me? I like what Paul says. All things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought under the power of any of them. 1 Corinthians 6.12 For example, let me give you an example. It's not a bad thing if you like to shop. But if you spend money that you do not have, then shopping has brought you what? Under its power. If you spend money that you know you don't have and you're spending above your means, then it has brought you under its power and enslaved you. Number three, is this an activity that will create an appetite for more? Is this an activity that will create an appetite for more? Let me give you an example. A good example would be watching television. In and of itself, watching television is not a sin, right? Unless the content is sinful. And then shame on you, turn it off. (laughs) But if watching television creates an appetite for more to the point that you cannot turn it off, then perhaps God would be pleased to have you turn it off. It's an activity that has created an appetite for more. And you can't get rid of it. Number four. Will this destroy my ability to think logically? Will this destroy my ability to think logically? We don't have time this evening. I wish we could go through the New Testament and look at all the commands for us to be sober-minded. Do you know that's the first thing that older women are to teach young women is how to be sober-minded? And we're to be sober-minded. In First Peter it talks about because the devil is like a roaring lion walking about, seeking whom he may devour. Ladies, we're ha- supposed to have our minds, our wits about us. We are to be sober-minded. And yet we are a generation that doles our mind with illegal drugs as well as legal drugs. In fact, several years ago, I even heard about a dog that was on Prozac for depression. Um, these type of drugs can be very dangerous. And they produce long-term side effects. And so if you're doing something that is destroying your ability to think logically, the scripture commands otherwise to be sober-minded. Number five, 
Is this something that will weaken my intimacy with God? Is this something that will weaken my intimacy with God? You know, one of the commandments is, actually the first commandment is, you shall have no other gods before me. None. Zero. So if you're doing something that takes precedent over your relationship with God and commands your love and your passion that you should be giving to him, it's in a very serious question. In fact, one of my former Sunday school teachers said this, whatever disrupts your communion, excuse me, I just lost my place, whatever disrupts your communion with God or weakens your appetite for the Bible or dulls your concern for others must be set aside. Number six, number six, will this cause me to neglect Bible study and prayer? Will this cause me to neglect Bible study and prayer? Now, the Lord has allowed me to work with lots of women and speak with lots of women. And women love to get involved in all kinds of activities. And ladies, it may not be harmful. It may not be evil. They're good things. They're noble things. But they spend no time with the Lord. You ask them, you know, do they read their Bible? Do they pray? They have no relationship with God. They don't read his word. They don't spend time praying. They're encumbered with many things, but they don't sit at the feet of Christ. Number seven, will this thing cause my body to rule over my spirit and soul? Will this cause my body to rule over my spirit and my soul? Let me give you a good example of this. This would be someone maybe who is obsessed with their weight to the point that they are bulimic or anorexic. I know women that will go to any means, they will even sin to maintain a certain weight. And what I mean by sinning is throwing up or starving yourself. It's sinful. It's wrong. Ladies, God doesn't care about your dress size. He cares about your heart. Number eight, will this cause someone else to stumble? Will this cause someone else to stumble? Paul says in 1 Corinthians 8, 12 and 13, when you sin against the brethren and you wound their weak conscience, you sin against Christ. Therefore, if food makes my brother stumble, I will never eat meat again. At least I make my brother stumble. So you might ask yourself, you're getting ready to do something. Will this cause my sister to stumble. I won't do it. Number nine, do I have an uneasy conscience about this? Do I have an uneasy, you know, sometimes you get ready to do something, you go, I don't think I better do this. Ladies, that's the Holy Spirit. Do I have an uneasy conscience about this? In fact, Paul says in Hebrews 13, 18, we are confident that we have a good conscience in all things desiring to live honorably. If you're getting ready to do something or you're involved in an activity activity, and you have a red flag or you have an uneasiness about it, don't do it. I wish I could go back in my life and all those times that I had red flags or an uneasiness about something and I wished I had not done it because it usually ended up being the wrong thing. And then the last question when asking yourself about those gray areas would be this. And this really you could probably throw out all other nines. You say, well, why don't you just give us the last one then? Can I ask God to bless this? Can I ask God to bless this? Ladies, if you cannot ask God to bless 
whatever activity it is you're doing or whatever thing you're doing, then I wouldn't do it if you know God would not be pleased. So from now on, when you're wondering whether something is a sin, ask yourself these questions, and maybe that will help determine if that's God's best for you in the situation. One thing I do know for sure, that thing you know to be good, I mean, the Bible is full of many, many commands. So that thing you know to be good or right and you don't do it, James says to you, it is sin. Well, I want to return to the object of our lesson, which is planning without the Lord. Ladies, I want you to think about tomorrow. You know, tomorrow might bring sickness, right? We all might wake up with whatever Susie has. I hope not. I hope it's not on this microphone. (laughs) You might be sick tomorrow. Maybe there'll be some sorrow or tragedy. You'll wake up maybe in the middle of the night with a phone call, or in the morning you'll get a phone call. Or maybe tomorrow might bring a long-awaited answer to prayer. I mean, the salvation of someone you love. I would love it if my sister and brother-in-law came to faith in Christ. Or maybe tomorrow will bring a new friendship. Somebody you meet tomorrow. It's going to be a lifelong friend. Or maybe an opportunity to share Christ. Maybe your tomorrow will not come. I don't know. Like it did not come for those who were killed on 9-11. They they never saw September 12th, did they? All their plans were like vapor. In fact, I think it's interesting. You know, every one of us in this room has an expiration date. Have you ever thought about that? You know, we go to the grocery store, we look at, you know, these things, you know, see when they expire, and you don't buy those things that are going to expire soon because they're yucky. But every one of you in this room has an expiration date, and only God knows what your expiration date is. You do not know because he's planned your days from the foundation of the world. God may choose to take us home today, tomorrow, by death. Maybe the rapture, wouldn't that be great? I would love it if we all went home by the rapture. In fact, I want to close with this. In Charles Swindoll's book, Seasons of Life, he relates a time he was taking a leisurely drive on a Sunday afternoon, and he writes this. He says, I was driving up to Forest Home with easy listening music coming through the speaker, a quiet drive on a mellow Sunday afternoon. And then I saw something up ahead. Before I realized what it was, it flashed in my mind that something was terribly wrong, out of place, distorted. An overturned car, I could see it now. An ambulance screamed somewhere back. I felt like someone had pushed a fist into my stomach. Someone was directing traffic. I got too close of a look at the vehicle resting on its crumpled top. The scene hangs in my mind. The bystanders were staring in an open-mouthed disbelief. Two men dragging limp bodies out of the wreckage onto the pavement. All of the passengers were either dead or terribly mutilated. Such a warm, peaceful Sunday. The day was bright and filled with leisure hours. But for three people, that moment, the world flipped violently, crazily, fatally, upside down. Naturally, I wondered if those victims knew our Lord, if they could smile at eternity. My pulse shot up so that I had to grip the wheel with both hands. And under my breath, I mumbled, Proverbs 21, Do not boast about tomorrow, for you do not know what a day may bring forth. James 4:13-14 was certainly written with that particular proverb in mind. And I said it out loud, several times as the traffic resumed its speed. Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a city, spend a year there, buy and sell, make a profit. 
whereas you do not know what will happen tomorrow. For what is your life? It's a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. Let's pray. Dear Father, I want to commit this evening to you as well as the remainder of the days that are represented in each one of these ladies' lives. Because, Lord, we we do not know what will happen tomorrow. We don't even know if we'll all make it home this evening. We pray that. But, Lord, I pray that we would be wise women. I pray that we would be wise in our planning, always keeping in mind as we plan our days and plan our activities and plan our years and um, all the things that we do and plan for our children and our grandchildren, Lord, that we would always take to heart that our planning must be dependent upon a God who is sovereign, the God that knows the beginning from the end, the God who is the first and the last, the Alpha and the Omega. And, Lord, that we would commit these things to you. and We would not be so arrogant in our boasting that we're going to do this and we're going to do that. But, Lord, we would have in our mind, if the Lord wills, if the Lord wills, we will do this and that. And, Father, I pray for any in this room this evening that have been going about their days, just planning their activities without you in mind. Pray that you would prick their hearts for their sinfulness, Lord, because we know that to know this and not do it is sin, James says. And so, Lord, help us to be um, women who are more conscious of planning with the Lord and not planning without the Lord. And, Lord, I thank you for the opportunity, again, that we have to discuss the homework and for the time that we will have to fellowship around the refreshment that has been provided and with these precious sisters in Christ. And we commit that time to you as well, that you would be honored in it. In Christ's name, amen.